All right, so yes, I'm, I'm preaching in socks this morning because I broke my shoe after the first service, and my sweet wife uh, volunteered to hop in the car with our two kids, run home, bring me a spare pair, but I thought, no, this is really, I'm looking forward to this. This feels good to preach in socks, so, so let's do this. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to continue our way through the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. This week, I upgraded my phone like probably most of you did, and as I went to upgrade it, I noticed that my phone is totally full of pictures and videos of my kids, like hundreds and hundreds of pictures of my kids, because let's be honest, if you had kids as cute as mine, your phone would be totally full of pictures of your kids. Every time my kids do something new, I grab my phone and I take tons of pictures. When my daughter Gracie ate from a spoon for the first time, I got that picture. When my son Luke was for the first time able to hold up his really large head, that was worth a lot of pictures. Uh, When Gracie was able to sit up on her own for the first time, that's a picture. When Luke had his friend over, a friend of the house for the first time, This, by the way, is Samuel Morton, the son of the Third Sight teaching pastor. So we already, we've got our our sons together all the time. Um, So that was a picture when Luke ate birthday cake for the first time. That's got to be a picture when Gracie crawled for the first time. That's a picture. We have all of these pictures of these firsts in our children's lives because for us as parents, these feel like huge victories. These are huge. These, These feel like victories because our goal as parents, our fundamental goal of every parent out there is to help their children grow up. That's how life is supposed to work. You're you're supposed to be born and you're supposed to grow up. And when we see evidence that our kids are growing up, that they're taking forward steps in life, we got to record it. We got to take pictures because it thrills us to see our kids growing up because that's how life is supposed to work. If you don't grow up, there's something wrong. If you're a freshman in college and you're still wearing diapers, there's something wrong with that. That's not how life is supposed to work because the most basic goal of life is to grow up. That's, that's the goal for all of us. We're to grow up physically and mentally and spiritually. That's what God has for us, to grow up, to mature. Paul puts it this way in the book of Colossians chapter 1. He says, Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil. That was his goal for, for every person, not just pastors or elders or missionaries or worship leaders, but for every believer, the goal is to become mature in Christ, to grow up spiritually. That's what Paul toiled to accomplish. That was his life's work, to help believers to grow up in Christ. Or as Paul puts it in, in Ephesians chapter 4, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's the goal, that we we would grow up in every way, that we would become mature like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. That's why we have relationships with one another so that we can speak truth into each other's lives and help each other grow up in Jesus. That's the goal of life, to grow up. Spiritual maturity, that's God's goal for your life. But what does spiritual maturity look like? How do you know if you are becoming mature in Christ? How do you know if you're growing up in Jesus? Uh, physical maturity, it's easy for us to see that. You just put a person in front of you, you look at them, and you can tell whether they're a child or an adult just by looking at them. But spiritual maturity, you can't see it. So how do you know if you are growing up in Christ? How do you know if you are becoming mature spiritually? Well, it's, it's just like my kids, when I take them to the doctor every year, Julie and I take the kids for an annual checkup, the doctor will give us every year a milestone checklist. 
milestone checklist. It's a list, one sheet of paper, that lists out all of these milestones that we should see, these, these steps of growth that we should see in our kids during the coming year. So it lists new things that they should be able to do, that they should be able to say, that they should be able to communicate or feel or think. All of these specific milestones that you're looking for that mark maturity. Well, similarly, in our passage this morning, Paul is going to give us milestones of spiritual maturity. He's going to walk us through three specific marks or or milestones that that will show you whether you are growing up in Christ, whether you're becoming spiritually mature. So Paul's going to give us three milestones, and for each milestone, he's going to give us motivation. So motivation for why we should put forth the work and the effort to mature, to grow up. He's going to give us this motivation because Paul knows that it's hard to grow up. I was having a conversation with my son, Luke, this week, and he likes cars like I like cars, and so we were talking, and I was asking, Luke, are you looking forward to growing up and getting your driver's license so you can drive a car like Daddy? And Luke thought about it for a minute, and then he responded really honestly, no, Daddy, I want to stay a kid forever. And I thought, you are a smart boy. Smart boy, because it is a lot easier to stay a kid. Because kids, you, you don't have to go get a job, and somebody else does your laundry and cooks your food and cleans up. You get to be selfish and immature all the time. It's great being a kid. It's much harder to grow up. Because when you grow up, when you become mature, then you have more responsibilities and more obligations in life. Maturity is hard. That's why the church in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, had by and large chosen to remain immature. That's really the fundamental problem of of the book that that 1 Corinthians was written to this church in in Corinth that looked around and realized that to grow up in Christ, to become spiritually mature, that was hard, that was painful, that took sacrifice, and so they checked out. They decided to drift downstream with the world around them, to look like everyone else, to remain immature, to follow the sinful pursuits of the world around them, chasing fame and pleasure and money like everyone else. And so Paul writes this book to the church in Corinth to lay out milestones of maturity. So here's what maturity looks like, and then to give them motivation for why maturity is worth the price, why it is worth putting forth the effort and the sacrifice to grow up in Christ. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Three milestones of maturity and three motivations for why maturity is worth the price. So milestone number one that Paul lays out. First way that you know if you are growing up in Christ and becoming mature. Milestone number one, you are filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Look with me, chapter two, let's start in verse six. Paul says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, A wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Skip down to verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Paul walks us through three types of people. 
He introduces us to three classifications of human beings. So the first type of person that he mentions is the natural man, the natural human being. There, chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person is the person who has not yet been touched by the Spirit of God. These are unbelievers. All unbelievers on the planet are natural men and women. They are, as we studied last week, still blinded by Satan and by sin. They are still dead in their sins. They're separated from God. They're unable to see and perceive truth and respond to the gospel. That's all unbelievers in the world. They are natural. They they are untouched yet by God's Spirit. So that's the first type of person. All unbelievers. They're natural. Next two groups of people are all believers. So every believer will fit into one of these next two groups. The first group of believers, Paul talks about, is those who are fleshly. They're at the beginning of chapter 3. Those who are fleshly, what that means is that even though they are believers, their lives are still characterized by the desires of the flesh. So they're still led by, by the sinful desires of the flesh, just like the world around them. They look like natural men and women. They chase after the, the desires for pleasure and money and fame and all of those things that our world chases after. So their lives are characterized by the pursuits of the flesh. This is the Corinthians' believers' problem. They are fleshly believers. They have drifted with the world. They are pursuing the fleshly desires that the world is pursuing. They look just like the world around them. So fleshly believers are immature believers. Now some of you may be hearing me talk about fleshly immature believers who follow the pursuits or the desires of the flesh. You may be objecting in your mind. You may be thinking, but it's not okay for Christians to live fleshly lives, to which I would respond, you're absolutely right. No, it is not okay For Christians to live fleshly lives. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, obedience is normal and natural and expected of believers, but it's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. Just like it's normal and natural and expected for human beings to grow up from babies into mature and healthy adults, that's normal and expected. It doesn't always happen. It's not inevitable. That's why the Bible is littered with the stories of believers who failed to mature. So they gave in to sin. They became hard of heart. They, they walked in their sin instead of growing up in the Lord. You got guys like Lot. Lot, who's a believer. We know it. The, the New Testament makes it clear. He's a believer who chose to live in Sodom and it destroyed his family. Or Solomon, incredibly wise man, and yet such a fool in the ways that really matter. He chose to give in to immorality and idolatry and it destroyed him. Or Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, new believers who choose to lie against the Holy Spirit, they die in their immaturity on the spot. There's examples throughout the Bible of of believers who do not press on to maturity. Maturity is expected, but it is not inevitable. So that's the second group of people, believers who are fleshly. Third group that Paul talks about is the spiritual spiritual. Now, when he uses the word spiritual, he's not using it in in kind of the modern way. He's not talking about people who are in touch with their spiritual side. He's talking about people whose lives are characterized by the Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. Their lives are influenced and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul will say in Ephesians 5, these are people who are filled by the Spirit. That's a synonymous phrase. Or Galatians 5, these are people who are walking in the Spirit. Their lives are led by the Holy Spirit. That's spiritual people, mature people, mature believers' lives are filled and led by the Holy Spirit. 
But, but how do you know if your life is being led by the Spirit? How do you know if you're living a Spirit-filled life? You can't see the Spirit, but you can see the effect of the Holy Spirit on your life. You can see the, the results of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart by, by looking at your life and looking for his fruit. That's where Paul goes in Galatians chapter 5. He tells us, but the fruit or the effect of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you look at your life and you see over time more and more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, that is evidence, that is proof that the Holy Spirit is working in you, transforming you, helping you to grow up in Christ. Because you can't manufacture these things in your flesh. You don't have the power to make yourself more loving. Only the Spirit can do that. So as you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, that is proof that you are becoming more and more spiritual. Now, now let's clarify, let's make it clear. The spiritual person's life is is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, but it won't always demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. None of us is perfect. There's only one believer who has ever lived a perfectly spiritual life. That was Jesus. The rest of us, we struggle. And so even the most spiritually mature believer will have moments, will have days when your life is more characterized by fleshly desires than the Spirit. But, but here's what distinguishes. If you want to really understand what's the difference between the fleshly believer and the spiritual believer, it all comes down to attitude. How do you know if you're spiritual? How do you know if you're mature? It all comes down to attitude. Because a fleshly believer, they are, their attitude in life, they are content with their sin. It's basically a fleshly believer looks at sin in his life and says, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with this amount of sin in my life. It's not that big a deal. Don't really care about it. They're content with their sin and immaturity. That, that defines them as a fleshly believer. Spiritual believers, even though they struggle with sin, they are not content with the sin and immaturity in their lives. They see their sin and they weep over it. They see their sin and they confess it to God. They're continually pursuing Jesus to grow, to be more like him, to grow up in the faith. And so you look at their lives over years, over decades, and you see this upward trajectory. They don't reach perfection, but they're growing in general year by year to demonstrate more and more of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. So the first milestone of maturity is that you are living a a life filled by the Spirit, filled by His fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all of that is being demonstrated more and more in your life. That's the first milestone, now the first motivation. For each milestone, Paul tells us why it's worth growing up in Christ, putting forth the work to grow. The first motivation for maturity is it makes you wise makes you wise. You saw that in our passage. If you are growing up to be mature, verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. What Paul's saying, it's kind of hard what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, the book that I'm writing, you 1 Corinthians, is a hard book to understand. It really is. Really hard book to understand. You're only going to get it if you're mature. If you're content to live in your sin, this book isn't going to make sense to you. You're not going to have enough wisdom, enough spiritual insight to understand and apply God's word to your life. What Paul is teaching us is the first motivation for growing in maturity is the more we mature in our spiritual lives, the more we become like Jesus, the more we understand God's truth. You will become wise, you will see God more clearly, more fully than you ever have before. But if you are content to live in your sin, if you're content to to live with immaturity in your life, then what's the result? Well, beginning of chapter 3, verse 2, 
I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. If you remain spiritually immature, you will be a fool. You, you will be unable to understand God's word. You'll, you'll be, able to, be unable to see truth and apply it to your life. You just won't be able to wrap your mind around it. If you want to understand God, if you want to know God, you must pursue maturity. It's what the book of Hebrews talks about in chapter 5. Hebrews directly addresses the same situation that was going on in Corinth. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If you will put forth the work, the practice to grow up in Christ, spending time in his word, time in prayer, practicing the spiritual disciplines, growing to obey God more and more, to live out the fruit of the spirit more and more, the result will be you will get meat out of the word of God. It will make more and more sense to you. You will see God in new ways more deeply than you've ever seen him before. You will see his ways and how he works in the world and in your life. It will make you wise if you will mature. If you will instead live in your sin, if you won't pursue maturity, then you will never be able to digest anything more from the word of God than just the basics, just the milk. So why is it worth pursuing maturity, putting forth the work to grow up in Jesus Christ because it makes you wise. As you grow in the Spirit so that the Spirit's fruit is displayed more and more clearly in your life, it helps you to become more and more wise. So that's the first milestone of maturity and first motivation. That's why it's worth it to grow up in Christ. Now the second milestone of spiritual maturity. How do you know if you're growing up in Christ? Milestone number two, you are growing in humility. Look with me at chapter 3. Let's pick it up again in verse 3. Paul says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. In our world, in our society, when we think about this subject of of humility, I, I think it's easy to see that in our society we expect a certain level of humility from superstars. Even in our world that doesn't read the Bible, we, when a superstar acts really arrogantly, it strikes us wrong. It, it just makes us feel uncomfortable. So when LeBron James calls himself a superhero, that's a little weird. When Usain Bolt says he's the greatest athlete to ever live, that's a little over the top. Come on, you're saying that's, that's a little too much. Can't, we can't stomach that. Or my favorite example, when Kanye West opens his mouth and says <laughs> almost anything, <laughs> it strikes us as, wow, that is just way over the top. When he opens his mouth and says things like, I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. Wow, (laughs) that's just a little too much arrogance. Or, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. (laughs) Wow, that's pain right there. Wow. Or, I am the number one human being in music. That means any person that's living or breathing is number two. I appreciate the second sentence there. Just tying it up for us, clarifying that for us. Um, 
We look at Kanye West and it's just a little too over the top, even for people who aren't Christians, even for people who don't read the Bible and don't care about humility. They hear that level of arrogance and it's shocking. It's offensive. Because in our culture, in our society, we expect a certain level of humility from superstars. We expect that superstars will, will praise, will share the glory with the people around them. So great athletes will, will praise their fellow teammates and their coaches. And great musicians will praise the musicians who inspired them. We, we expect that superstars share the glory. And that's really how our society defines humility. You are willing to share the glory. If you're a superstar, you're willing to share the glory with the people around you. That's how the world defines humility. That's not how the Bible defines humility. How Paul defines humility is he looks at this concept of humility. It goes so much deeper than just being willing to share the glory with the people around you. Because you notice when when Paul looks at, at him, at himself, and at Apollos, he recognizes that they are a great team. They're they're a team, two of them together. Actually, Paul and Apollos were part of like the greatest team ever team of, of apostles and prophets and, and evangelists who founded the church, who built the church of Jesus Christ. Paul and Apollos were superstars on that team, incredible team, and yet Paul doesn't praise the team at all. Now, Paul doesn't draw your eyes to him or to Apollos or to the team at all. In fact, Paul will not take any credit for anything good that God has done through his life or through Apollos' life. Why? Because Paul says right there, verse 5, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants? We're servants. We're field hands. There's nothing special about us. Paul will not allow you to attach the label superstar to his life. No. Doesn't matter what God's done through me. I'm not a superstar. I'm just a servant. Paul would not take any credit for himself. Why? Because he goes on to say, one of us, Paul, I I planted, Apollos watered, but neither of us was causing the growth. Who was causing the growth? God. And so Paul concludes, so the one who watered and the one who planted are nothing. That's true humility. Not that you're willing to share the glory, but that you won't take any of the glory. You give it all back to God. Humility says, I am nothing because God is everything. Humility doesn't praise the team that you're on. Humility recognizes we're nothing. God is everything. Because Paul recognized all the good that came through Paul, which Let's be honest, man, there's a lot of good that came through this man. Here we are studying the book he wrote this morning, 2,000 years later. Lots of good that came through this man's life, and yet Paul admits, I'm not the cause of any of it. Nothing good that has come through Paul was Paul's doing. It was all from God. So Paul gives all the credit to God. That's true humility. Humility says, I am nothing because God is everything. That's true humility, and that's hard. How do you live that kind of humility? Because there's that part of us, inside of us, that craves recognition. We crave greatness. We crave fame. And so when you are praised, how do you give all the glory to God? How do you make yourself nothing and make God everything? It's really hard to do. And so Paul, just like with the first milestone, he gives us motivation. Why should you pursue this humility that is so painful, that is so hard Motivation number two for the mature life. Pursue humility because it fosters peace with others. It fosters peace with other people. Or or conversely, if you don't pursue humility, if you continue to walk in pride and arrogance, well, pride fosters strife between people. Arrogance fosters conflict. You've all seen that. These great athletes that we talked about earlier, they end up destroying the teams that they're on. 
because they have such outsized egos. The coaches spend all their time just trying to resolve interpersonal conflict. You can't coach a team like that. Pride and arrogance destroys a team, whereas humility builds a team. It unites us together. It binds us together. It's actually really ironic. I don't know if you were following this, but Paul talks about these two groups in the Corinthian church, one calling themselves the group of Paul, one calling themselves the group of Apollos. They didn't really care about Paul and Apollos. They were competing for power and influence. They were prideful. They were just appealing to different men as their basis of authority. What Paul, what's ironic is that Paul looks at these two groups that claim allegiance to Paul and Apollos who are fighting with each other, and yet Paul and Apollos never fought. That's the irony. Paul and Apollos got along great. They were really good friends, as best we can tell. They loved each other. They got along great. Why? Because they realized, verse 5 through 7, they are nothing. God is everything. Because these men gave all the credit to God, they could live in harmony with one another instead of competition with one another. When you pursue humility, when you grow in humility, it fosters peace between people. When I graduated from A&M, I went to work for a company that was run by three men who were all very prideful. All three of them had big egos, and that meant that they were always in conflict with one another, competition with one another. And I was there only a month or two before I realized I I hate being in in this environment because it's so stressful. Because I go to work every morning not knowing who's going to yell at who today and who's going to fire some guy. I I don't know. It could be me. Don't know what's going to happen. It's so volatile. It's so stressful. In fact, after a while, two of them pulled together the board of directors and fired the third while he was on vacation. Who does that? That's like the worst thing I've ever heard. That place was awful because it was led by men who could not check their ego. They let pride and arrogance run rampant, and it caused incredible pain for everyone around. And so, yeah, it is painful to check your pride and walk in humility. Humility is painful, but I promise you, humility is far less painful than the pain you will unleash in your life if you leave your arrogance unchecked. If you give full vent to your pride and arrogance, you will cause so much pain for yourself, for your family, for everyone around you. Humility and maturity is worth the price because it fosters peace in our relationships with one another. That's the second milestone and second motivation that Paul gives us for pursuing maturity, for growing up in Christ. Third milestone that Paul gives us. I skipped this, move to the next one. Milestone number three. How do you know if you're growing up in Jesus Christ? You are building God's kingdom. You're investing your life to build God's church. Look with me, chapter 3, verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. 
Paul walks us through a couple metaphors that describe the church, God's kingdom on earth, as, as a field or as a building. And Paul talks about how every one of us has been gifted in a particular way to build God's church. So Paul and Apollos, they each had unique gifts that they used to build God's church. And what Paul wants us to understand is that the immature believer wastes his or her God-given abilities, skills, talents, just to serve themselves. This is the guy in the metaphor who builds with wood, hay, and straw. Wood, hay, and straw don't last. They don't last. Over time, a fire comes through and they're gone. So this is the the immature believer who, who takes all of the gifts God has given him and you just spend them on yourself, on your life, on your pleasures, on your career, on your fame. Well, over time, at the end of days, when you stand before God, you'll have nothing left of your life. You built on sand. There's no permanence to it. There's nothing that endures. You've wasted your life if you spend it all on yourself. Paul challenges us instead to live a mature life. A mature believer invests his or her God-given abilities and talents and skills to build Jesus' church. That's where you invest your life because the church is eternal. Church will never end. The church is an eternal thing. So if you spend your life building the church, you are spending your life building something that will last the test of time. This is a guy who builds with gold, silver, and precious stones. Those things last A fire comes through and they're still there. If you invest your life building this community, the church, then you are doing something that will bear dividends for all of eternity. You're living a life that will last. That's what Paul challenges us to do, to build the church with our lives. This is the the man or the woman, the believer, who spends his or her time sharing the gospel with people, to, to draw new people into the church. This is the believer that sacrifices nights or lunches to meet with young believers, to disciple them and train them in the faith so they can grow and and mature. This is the believer who sacrifices on Sunday mornings to run sound or play in the worship band or take care of our kids or our youth so they can invest in the next generation. This is a believer who goes and serves in the community in some charity that's, that's focused on Jesus so that they can make the reputation of Jesus great in Bryan and College Station. This is a believer who invests his time, talents, and money to build Jesus' church. That's the mature believer, the wise builder. But that takes sacrifice. It's a lot more comfortable to spend your time, talents, and treasure on yourself, on meeting your own selfish desires. And so why should you sacrifice to build Jesus' church? Why should you invest in his kingdom? Third motivation that Paul gives us for living the mature life is because it results in reward. Paul talks about a day of fire coming in the future. That's a common biblical metaphor for a day of judgment. There's a day of judgment when God, and particularly Jesus, will judge our lives. But what you want to notice from verse 15 is that this judgment of fire is not about heaven or hell. Do you see that? It's verse 15. The guy who wastes his life does not invest in Jesus' church. He spends all of his time, talents, and treasures on himself. When he is judged, what is the result? He is still saved. As through a fire, but still saved. It's important to understand, when Paul motivates us to, to grow up in Jesus, to mature, to become more like Christ, he does not motivate us by threatening hell. Getting into heaven, escaping hell, is not a motivation for growing up in Christ. And that's important to clarify because a lot of Christians aren't clear on that. 
They think that if you don't grow up in Christ, if you don't become more mature, more obedient, that you will maybe lose your salvation, that you'll forfeit it if you don't grow up, or, or maybe you'll prove that you were never saved to begin with. No, Paul's clear. This guy is saved. Maturity is not about earning heaven. Maturity is not about escaping hell. That's not a motivation for maturity. The gospel is clear. You get to heaven, you are saved, you have eternal life as an absolutely free gift. You did not earn it, you do not prove it, you do not keep it. It's a gift that God gives to you. You can never lose it. It's a gift that comes the moment that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you could have eternal life. The moment you believe that, you are saved and you can never lose that salvation whether you grow up in Christ or not. That's the good news of the gospel. Salvation is a gift. It's by faith alone. But Paul wants us to understand, while salvation is by faith alone, reward is not. Even for us who are believers, we will go to heaven when we die. When we get to heaven, there will be a moment of judgment. We'll stand before Jesus, and he will unleash a fire that burns up all that we've done in life so that it can be tested, so that he can see, did we invest in his kingdom or do we invest only in ourselves? There will be a moment of judgment where it's revealed how, how we invested our lives. And if we were faithful to him in this life, if we built his church, if we invested our lives in building his kingdom, then Jesus will reward us. If we wasted his gifts and just spent them on the, ourselves, then we will lose that reward. It's actually a really common theme when you walk through the New Testament. You get to heaven by faith alone, but reward comes through deeds of obedience, of faithfulness. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all, all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Judgment seat of Christ is not about heaven and hell, but it's also not about faith. It's about deeds. How have you spent your time, your treasure, your talents on earth? If it's to serve Jesus then you will be rewarded. That's what motivated Paul to live an incredibly hard life. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul tells us what motivated him to, to sacrifice so much. He gave up everything. He lost his own head serving and building the church. He gave up his life to serve Jesus. So what motivated Paul? To give so much, to work so hard, to sacrifice everything. He tells us at the end of chapter 9, Look starting in verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Disqualified. Paul's not afraid of hell. Paul, if, if anyone ever knew for sure that their salvation was secure, it was Paul. He's not talking about going to hell. He's talking about losing reward. That when he stands before Jesus, if he has not disciplined his body, if he has not lived a life of self-control, serving Jesus, serving Jesus' church, then when he stands before Jesus for judgment, he will lose the reward. And that, that thought broke Paul's heart. And so he gave all of this effort and he gave all of this sacrifice because he wanted to please Jesus so that when he stood before Jesus for judgment, he would be rewarded. 
Now, Paul doesn't tell us what exactly is the reward. I, I don't know. The, the Bible hints at it. It tells us that it will include honor. You'll stand before Jesus and he will praise you by name in front of all of the watching heaven. It will be honor for you. We, we know it will also include authority. You will rule in some way in Jesus' coming kingdom. You will be his ambassador, his representative, his co-regent over the earth when he comes in power. So there's honor and there's authority, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, but what I know is that the thought of it so motivated Paul, it so thrilled Paul, that Paul was willing to give up everything, even his own life, in order to earn that reward. What Paul wants us to understand is that whatever we have to give up in this life to build Jesus' church is small potatoes compared to the reward you will receive, the honor, the authority you will have when you stand before Jesus for judgment if you have been faithful. So that's the third and final motivation for pursuing maturity, for growing up in Jesus Christ is that it results in reward when you stand before Jesus Christ. Now, how exactly do you build God's church? Practically speaking, what do you do to invest in Jesus' church? That's a big topic. It's too big for today, so that will be the whole sermon next week. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll talk about how we invest our lives in the growth of Jesus' church on earth. So this morning, we've looked at spiritual maturity, this thing that's, that's hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to see. Paul has given us milestones that help us to know, are we growing up in Christ? The way that you know if you're growing in maturity is you're, you're filled by the Spirit. You see more and more of the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, the Spirit being, being coming out of your life, being demonstrated by your life. Second, you're, you're growing in humility. You see humility being expressed through you. Really practically, what does that look like? Humility is that when you do something good, you immediately give thanks to God. That's humility. Because when you do something good, you recognize, I didn't do that. It was God. He gave me the abilities. He gave me the opportunity. He gave me the strength. It's all him. So you do something good, you give thanks to God. Humility is when somebody praises you. So they come and, and they praise you. Uh, humility is not that you get all awkward and that you try to make them stop. That's not humility. Humility is that you receive the praise and then you immediately give the credit and thanks to God. That's humility. Thank you for saying that. I'm so grateful to God for giving me this opportunity. That's humility. Humility, here's the hard one. Humility is that when a friend of yours has a really good day, maybe they succeed in some way that you have never succeeded in, you celebrate with them. That's the hardest one of all. When a peer, when someone around you has some victory in their life that puts them ahead of you, they're excelling beyond you, you are able to come next to them and genuinely celebrate their accomplishment, that's humility. Humility recognizes it's really not about them, it's not about me, it's about God. God did everything good in both of our lives. That's how you know if you're growing in humility. So if you're growing in maturity, you're going to see more and more of this, that you're giving thanks to God, you're giving the credit to God, and you're able to celebrate with your friends when they have victories in their lives. Okay, third, you're building God's kingdom. You're investing your life, your time, your talents, your treasure sacrificially to build Jesus' church. When you see these things, you know God's growing me. I'm growing up in Christ. If you don't see these things in your life, then something's wrong. You, you need to make some progress. You need to begin to, to, to seek that maturity, to grow. And so Paul gave us three milestones and he gave us three motivations. Why put forth the hard work and the sacrifice to grow up in Jesus? Because it makes you wise. So you understand God more. You know him better. It fosters peace between you and other people. 
avoids all of that strife and conflict that make relationships so painful, and because it results in a reward when you stand before Jesus Christ for judgment. I want to end this morning by encouraging you and and challenging you to believe that maturity is hard. It is hard to grow up, but it's worth it. It is worth the, the pain and the sacrifice to grow up in Christ. I want to challenge you over the next week to begin praying. Begin asking God to to grow you this fall. Begin praying that God would use this fall semester, these next few months, to grow you in amazing ways so that years from now you would look back at this fall, fall 2014, and you would see God's handprints, his fingerprints all over your life. You would see his work in you. So pray that God will, will soften your heart. Pray that God will open your eyes. Pray that God will convict you and teach you this fall and help you to mature. And here's a really hard one. Pray and say to God, God, I give you permission to do whatever it takes in my life to break me of sin and grow me in Christ. I give you permission, break anything in my life, take anything away that, that must be taken away to make me more mature in Christ because you're a good father, you're a loving father, you're a wise father, you know what I need to grow up. So give God permission, pray, he said, God, I, I give you permission, do whatever it takes in my life to help me to mature this fall in Jesus. So I want to encourage you to pray this week. Begin praying every day that God would grow you spiritually this fall. And then second, I'd encourage you this fall as we go through 1 Corinthians to read it with us. This whole book of 1 Corinthians, it was written to help you grow up. That's what the book is about. Growing in Jesus, becoming spiritually mature. It's full of incredibly practical advice about how you grow up in Christ. And so I want to challenge you to read it and study it with us this semester. So next semester, or next week, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 4. So this week, read 1 Corinthians 4. At some point in your quiet times, read through 1 Corinthians 4 so they can begin to to sink in. So I, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians with us, and I encourage you to, to study it with us. And Brian and I ha, have been writing questions each week after we preach the sermon. Monday, we put the questions together. Tuesday, we post them on the website. Questions that you, you don't have to fill them out. You don't have to do them, but if you'll just read them, if you'll just think about these questions, they will help this truth to sink into your life. They will help you to apply it to your life so that you can grow up in Christ. So I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians with us and then study it. I'll post all of those questions on the website, on Twitter, on Facebook. You can get them there on Tuesday of each week so that this truth can sink into you and begin to change you so that God can grow you up in Christ because that is the goal for every one of us. That's the purpose of life, to grow up in Christ. Growing up is hard, but it's worth the price. Let's pray for God's help. Lord God, we thank you that you are a loving Father. We thank you that you are patient with us. We thank you that you are kind to us. We thank you that that in your wisdom and in your love, you you are able to reach into our lives and, and do anything that's required to help us to grow up. And so, Father, we come before you right now and and we confess to you, we say to you that, that we give you permission. You don't really need our permission, but we give it to you. We surrender our lives before you. And we ask, God, that you would do whatever it takes in each of us individually to help us to grow in Jesus. We pray that you would do whatever it takes to break us of sin. We pray that you would do whatever it takes to expose and break us of immaturity. We pray do whatever it takes to to grow us up so that we would be more and more like Jesus. 
Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our lives this fall. We pray that this fall would be a time of remarkable growth for every one of us in this room. We pray that years from now we would look back at fall 2014 and we would be amazed at what you did in our lives, growing us, delivering us from sin, helping us to live more and more righteous lives filled with your spirit, filled with humility. We pray, Lord, that you would begin to work powerfully in us. We pray that you would work in us, maturing us, growing us to be like Jesus so that when this town looks at Grace Bible Church, when they look at us, they would see him and they would be amazed and they would be drawn closer to Jesus through our lives. We pray all this for the glory and renown of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. And God bless you guys. Have a great week.